you're looking at the uh, world mission scene right now, what what are some emerging trends you're seeing that we need to be praying for, paying attention to uh, here at First Press? Well, one of the great challenges for all for all of Christianity and for the kingdom of God is a, a thing we call in missions a church planting. You know, it, uh, maybe 50 years ago, uh, you would hear a lot more about evangelism. And, and there are a lot of techniques about how to win people to Jesus Christ. Uh, the problem with that is we gave everybody, as many people as we could talk to, a little bit of the gospel. But we didn't call them into discipleship, where they would sit under the preaching of the word. You know, one of the things my wife loves about First Press is your preaching. You know, man, that's humbling. If, if she didn't like your <laughs> preaching, we wouldn't be here. You know, so don't screw up. Okay, know? no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is a joy as a for me as a Christian to hear the, uh, the Bible preached, and I love preaching too. But it give you know, and to hear the gospel preached in the fullness, uh, in its fullness, the whole counsel of God, as Paul talks about. You see lives change. As the, the longer you preach to a people, you'll see whole families changed because of that preaching. You never know what the Holy Spirit, you know, could be one sentence, one verse, that on that particular day, the Lord has prepared that person's heart, and boy, it's like an arrow that just penetrates. Hallelujah. So that's what everybody in the world needs. They need a pastor a godly pastor, godly leaders, godly elders, who they struggle, we all struggle with our own sinful nature. We know that. And it makes us all terrified, really, of the reality of our own fight. But we have to live our lives in front of a flock. That, you know, the Bible refers to us Christians as sheep, and we are God's flock. We are under shepherds. But every Christian needs that. They need the community of love, they need a place where they can be broken, they can come broken and find healing. Churches are not perfect. There is no perfect church. And there are so many stories of people who have what we call church hurt. But that does not illegitimize church. You know, it's like, oh, I heard there was a doctor once who, who, who committed malpractice. So I don't believe in medicine or doctors anymore. And I'm sick. I'm not going. That's as ridiculous as people who say, well, I know people who've been hurt by the church, so I won't risk my soul by going to one. Every believer needs to be uh, in the house of the Lord. They need to be in the body of Christ. So the challenge of missions is how do we plant churches everywhere? And uh, the growing awareness is that we have many churches in the United States that are dying. We are losing so many churches every year, thousands of them. So we have to start planting new ones to replace them. And it's hard because our culture is becoming increasingly secular, which you've talked a lot about, um, and resistant to the idea. We don't need church. I'm spiritual, but I don't need church. Well, I will tell you, there are people overseas in a lot of countries, thankfully, they're desperate. 
to find a place where they can hear the word of God. They are in a famine. Doesn't the scripture somewhere talk about this? People are famine. You have the word of God. Teach us. And uh, so we, we are trying to plant churches in uh, every continent um, uh, through traditional missionaries and also through indigenous church planters. And we need as a congregation to do more here in our own country. Mm. Yeah, that, I want to talk about that in just a second. But as you were talking about you know, Native Americans being a deeply spiritual people, one of the things that I think has puzzled some cultural pundits I've read is the fact that in the West we've been so attuned to being secularized. So we've got a secular liturgy of life, as it were, in the West. And I don't think we realize or stop to think about how foreign that concept, that kind of life, that worldview is in world history. For the vast majority, I mean, you read anthropologists to sociologists, vast majority of people in the world today and in the past were spiritual. Problem is, they didn't worship the Lord. <laughs> they need, and that's where I think we have tremendous opportunities. You're talking about the people who are starving for the word, but you've also got going. To, this is where I think, in one sense, we have a, an easier cultural in cross culturally as we go around the world. You go to them. I mean, I've talked to friends who are in missionaries in Muslim countries. They don't have any problem believing there's one God who gives us law. I mean, that's foreign to secular people. That's not a problem. It's just, again, getting people to understand the difference of the true and living God versus the idols of man. So that, that to me, is something I'm encouraged about, that you know, the, what we think is normal here in the West for secularization as we watch churches die, and that can be very discouraging, that is not normal for world history or the m most of the world's population living today. Mm -hmm. uh, we're the weird ones <laughs> who are secular. <laughs> well, yeah, what is not weird is a religious conversation in most of the world, especially the poor, the people, um, the less developed the country, you know, and, we're, you know, there's still issues of animism and those kind of things. But people are conscious that they live in a spiritual world. And part, you know, we talked about uh, spiritual conflict. There's conflict because there's a real devil. And the Bible says this about him. It says he has blinded the eyes of those who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of peace should shine unto them. And we know that we go out into the world to plant churches or to proclaim Christ. We go against a real devil who does not want those people to believe. Now, they are aware, many of them, that there's a spiritual world. They don't know the light of the gospel. And there are countries where there's what you would call um, religious competition. In other words, you go as a Christian and you're going into a, a Muslim environment. You're going into a Buddhist environment. You're going into a Hindu environment. And there are those people who hate the message of the gospel. But they are aware that people are spiritual beings. So that's one fight, religious competition. The other fight that we often fight here uh, are, are people who say there's no such thing as spiritual. You know, it, it's all a brain chemistry issue. Um, they don't even really believe in the mind. <laughs> you know, yes. they just think it's a chemical process. Yes. Oh. Which in itself, I think it's uh, hard for us to get our, 
our minds around the fact that secularism is a religious worldview. Yes. Uh, it has got all the, the person who thinks, well, I've just kind of, um, I've gotten rid of religion in my life. I'm a complete atheist. No, there's, there is a liturgy, there is a sacramentalism, if I could put it like that, to a secular worldview. Uh, interestingly, I think it was in the Little Rock case before the Supreme Court about 40 years ago, the presiding judge there, who I don't think was a Christian um, and certainly was not reflecting Christian, a Christian worldview in his decision, ruled that as they were looking at it was a case about creation versus evolution, that when you look at secularism, it has, he defined this, this judge did, said, well, here's what religion teaches. He gave a standard definition. He said, here's what this case is arguing, and it's the same from a secular standpoint. He just showed how the definitions were absolutely meant the same thing in both contexts. But uh, one thing you brought up that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, because you've done a lot of cross-cultural, around the world cross-cultural ministry here in the States, spiritual warfare and missions. Um, spiritual warfare is not a conversation that we have a lot uh, in Reformed circles, which is passing strange because the Bible has so much to say about it. And if you've done any kind of ministry for any amount of time, whether or not you realize it, you, there is serious spiritual warfare going on all around you. So what, what are some of the things you've seen through your ministry in terms of spiritual warfare, and what are some of the ways the Lord's helped you in that? Well, going back to the subject of uh, my D-men uh, in terms of, of spiritual dynamics and cross-cultural ministry, the whole, the whole conversation about race, Racism, poverty is fraught with lies of the devil. In other words, as soon as you bring it up, there are people who react immediately, as, uh, maybe with feelings of guilt, maybe with feelings of anger that you made them feel guilty. Uh, maybe suspicion that you're about to attack me. Um, you know, we have a real struggle uh, pursuing the concept of, of reconciliation because there are some people who are so angry um, at other folks, they don't want to be reconciled. And we talked about Native Americans. This is Black History Month, and African Americans often will say, you know, I'm not interested in reconciliation anymore. That's a white person's desire, but you don't really want justice and what I want is not reconciliation. I want justice. And, and I don't want to be bothered by you, so I'm going to segregate myself and be in a segregated community, which is so different from the dream of a Dr. King and the civil rights movement. I see that as part of the spiritual warfare. Uh, I mean, classic racism here, you know, or apartheid in South Africa where there's hatred. Uh, and despising of people because of the color of their skin. And you believe in all these stereotypes and you mock them and you, mis you abuse them. That's satanic. The devil is at work. If, if a mob grabs a man and takes him out to a tree and lynches him, that's murder. That's of the devil. That's spiritual warfare. Justice says that ought not to happen. But in terms of helping us forgive each other for those horrible memories, helping us to say, I'm willing to hear your pain. Uh, I'm willing to deal with 
wherever I have failed and confess it and believe that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin, those are spiritual dynamics. And uh, we're not going to solve interpersonal relationships racially, uh, ethnically, socioeconomically without the power of the gospel. You know, there may be altruistic people who say, you know, I'm sorry for the sins of my country and I want to be a better person, you know. But I, I just don't think liberal do-gooders uh, really get a lot accomplished. But I do believe that people who are broken before the Lord and who will say, and, you know, I will stand with you. Uh, even as I, I, There's a story uh, that has a lot to do with First Press. Years ago, there was a black man lynched on the Walnut Street Bridge. It was the last lynching in Chattanooga, right? 1949? Uh, no, it was earlier than that. 29, maybe. I remember yeah. reading about that, yeah. But when he, um, when he was first uh, arrested and accused, and it was a terrible trial, uh, he had two African-American lawyers come to defend him. Their lives were in danger just for being here. And it was David McCauley, one of the founders of the McCauley School, a Presbyterian, who sheltered them in his house. And, uh, you know, the spiritual warfare there is, will I believe God to do the right thing, even if my family is at risk? First Takes is produced by First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our theme music was written and recorded by Wes Breedlove. Our sound engineer is me, Dylan Thomas. Our host is Dr. Gabriel Fleur. S.K. Van Pufflin is our executive producer. And for more information about First Presbyterian or our ministries here, visit our website at 1stpresbyterian.com.